Samuel chapter 16, would you turn there real quick? I want to go ahead and read from verse uh, 14. It says, Now the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. Some of Saul's servants said to him, A tormenting spirit from God is troubling you. Let us find a good musician to play the harp whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you. He will play soothing music, and you will soon be well again. All right, Saul said, Find me someone who plays well and bring him here. One of Saul's servants said to Saul, One of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he's a brave warrior, a man of war, has good judgment. He is also a fine-looking young man, and the Lord is with him. As if his good looks weren't enough, he was a man of God too. And all the ladies got weak. Amen. No. Verse 19, so Saul sent messengers to Jesse to say, send me your son David the shepherd. Jesse responded by sending David to Saul along with a, a young goat, a donkey loaded with bread and a wineskin full of wine. So David went to Saul and began serving him. Saul loved David very much and became his armour bearer. And Saul sent word to Jesse saying, please let David remain in my service for I am very pleased with him. And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp. Then Saul would feel better and the tormenting spirit would go away. For this final installment in this series, Religion Rehab, today I want to preach to you a sermon that I have entitled, Work What Your Father Gave You. It's kind of like shake what your mama gave you, but it's work what your father gave you. You ready for the Word of God today? All right. If you're ready for the Word of God, would you go ahead, find 10 people around you and real quick, give them a San Diego bear hug. Would you do that real quick? Give them a real strong San Diego style bear hug. Squeeze somebody, squeeze somebody. Thanks, worship team. Incredible. Friendly, friendly, friendly. I like it. Work what your father gave you. Let me once again introduce myself. My name is Adam. I'm lead pastor of Vibe Church. Uh, We've now uh, been going seven years as a church, and uh, I've been married 17 years to my wife. In fact, can we put the picture up on the screen real quick? This is my family. I got to show them off. That's my wife on the far left, and that's my eldest daughter. Don't they look the same? Isn't that ridiculous? Like, this is freaking me out. She's 15 years old, and my twins are about to turn 13 years old. Don't pray for them. Pray for me. Amen. Pray for me. But I met my wife 17 years ago. In fact, actually, I got one. We're not just a house full of females. Can you put up my son real quick as well? I'll make a picture of my son. This is my boy, my boy Franco. He brings the testosterone to the family. He's rebellious, he's demonic, and we're praying for him. Amen. But we've been married 17 years. 17 years. Years And I remember back 17 years ago when we first got married, I was so excited for married life. You know, married life is a little different. There are things that you look forward to in marriage, things that you don't get to do when you're just dating. And you get to do a lot when you're dating, get to do a lot when you're engaged. But when you get to introduce your wife, that's a whole nother story. You know what I mean? Like that's a whole nother thing. And one thing I was so looking forward to about married life was because I was in the friend zone for a long time. Like, like. I was in the friend zone. She was, my wife was 15 when we first met, okay? So it didn't make sense to get married. Settle down. I know what you're doing in San Diego, but in Australia, we, we, we age up a little bit. Uh, so she stopped me in the friend zone for three years. Three years I was in the friend zone. 
So finally getting out of the friend zone, I got married real quick. You know what I mean? The minute that shifted, we got married. And uh, I was so excited to do a thing that we do in Australia called Carols by Candlelight. This is literally Christmas time. It's summer in Australia. The weather's all balmy and hot. And they put in the community, they put these carols by candlelight on where they have these local artists come, thousands of people gather in a park. And you literally put your picnic rug out. You put some wine and cheese. And you sing Christmas carols all night long. They end the night with fireworks. And then all at once, everyone just leaves. And it's chaos. It's great up until that point. They don't plan the end of the night where everyone's leaving all together. So you can imagine this crowd of people, brand new married couple, got the picnic blanket, got everything, just trying to get out of there. And, and it just so happened that there was this one guy not too far from us. I noticed he thought it was hilarious in the midst of this thick crowd to throw himself back on people. He had a little bit too much eggnog over the night. And so, and so he, was, he would just think it was hilarious to fall on people and see them fall down in this thick crowd. I was getting so frustrated. I was getting so annoyed. And I had this thought, Adam, you're a husband now. That means you need to do a public service and do something about this fool. <laughs> and I literally said this. I said to my wife, I said, watch this. I made my way through the crowd and I got up right behind him. And I noticed that every time he would throw himself back on someone, he would kind of glance, make sure they were there, and then he'd throw himself back. So as I'm positioned behind him, literally, I see the glance. I pretend I'm not looking. As he throws himself back, I was prepared. I grabbed him by the collar, and I dropped him to the ground. And I'm standing over him. And as I'm standing over him, I, I, I didn't plan this part. I planned the drop part. That's all I planned. I didn't plan what comes out next. But how many people know the Bible says what's in the heart, the mouth speaks? What came out was boom shakalaka. I didn't know where that came from. And it was one of those things, as you're saying it, you realize what you're saying and you question yourself. So it's kind of trailed off. I said, boom shakalaka. What I also didn't account for was the fact that he wasn't alone. I was so focused on him, I failed to recognize the five friends that were with him. They turned around, they got right up in my face, they start saying boom shakalaka, they start pushing me back and I I'm ready to die. I I'll be honest with you, I was standing there thinking, I know how this is gonna go, I was married three months, this was great. <laughs> that was my one request my whole life, God don't take me before I get married. I should have prayed a little bit different prayer, but God, you're going to take me now. And I was literally thinking this, this is how it's going to go down. Take one punch, hit the ground, and pretend to twitch. Like, just twitch. Because no one hits a twitching guy. You know, once they're twitching, you leave them. You know what I mean? They're done. They're, they're done. They've had enough. You know what I mean? So while I'm figuring out which leg to twitch when I hit the ground, out of nowhere comes my wife. Literally, just my brand new wife steps in between me and these five guys, and she starts shoving them. She starts, tell she starts speaking for the crowd. Literally, a whole, whole gr group of people, a whole circle, like a fight circle just turned up. She starts pushing them. She starts saying, we are all sick of you. The crowd are like, yeah. I'm like, what's going on? She says, you know what, you guys, need, you need to get out of here before you get yourself into trouble. They're like, settle down, lady. And they keep backing up. Like, We're just trying to have some fun. And they're walking off. The crowd start applauding her. I'm like, there is my hero. My goodness. But in the midst of the celebration was incredible confusion. Because I'm thinking, 
what do I bring to the relationship? <laughs> I'm the husband. I, I thought I was the fighter. I'm the lover? <laughs> you know, I think that's a, a pertinent question in all relationships is, what do I bring to this thing? You know, I know over this series, you've been learning about religion. You've been learning about the idea that, that religion is essentially the enemy to Christianity. That God's plan is not to use, bring salvation through religion. Religion cannot get you salvation. Works or what you earn. In fact, Ephesians 2.8 makes it so simple that we are saved by grace through faith. Not of ourselves, but of God. It's everything God. In fact, that's how salvation comes. It comes from God. It is God plus nothing. It's Jesus plus zero equals salvation. That's how it works. Nothing you can do, nothing you can earn, nothing on your merit. It doesn't based on how good, how bad, how ugly. Here's what's something that's revelational to you to know is that there is nothing you can do to make God like you more. Nothing. At the same time, there is nothing you can do to make God like you less. That's grace. So whatever you've done in your life, God's like, you know what? I love you. I, I love you. I saved you even before you did it, before you thought it, before you wondered about it, before you backed off and still did it anyway. God said, I love you. So there is nothing that you brought to the table. It's Jesus. Jesus did it all. Am I making this clear? It was Jesus plus nothing. That's grace. If you add anything to it, it takes away from grace. This is how it works. God's plan is not religion. God's plan is relationship. That as a good father, he gives the gift of salvation. That's what a gift is. It's nothing that you earn. A wage is what you earn. A gift is what is given. This is the salvation relationship. This is the way it works. This is the plan that God's plan is to give you everything. It's all Jesus. It's all him. It's none of you. It's what God did. And that's great news today. That's great news for anybody who came in here wondering, am I good enough for God? Wondering as you're scaling through your life, sitting under sermon after sermon, putting reflection over your life, considering all the things that you've done, which isn't essentially you, but the enemy trying to build barriers in your life from receiving what God has for you as if somehow you don't deserve it and you don't earn it. When you're thinking about that, what God wants to remind you of today is that it was none of you anyway. It was all of Him. So would you just receive it, the free gift of salvation? It's Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. That's grace. However, we know in relationships, it's a two-way street. That there, are, there is a partnership that you bring things, someone put a ring on it, you, you both get to partner, okay? It's, it's two people together. So in this relationship with God, if it's not about religion, it's about relationship, I, I wonder what it is that we bring. Like if it's all Jesus and Jesus did everything, what do I do? I think this would be a good way to close off the series to know what do I do in this relationship with Jesus? I love this passage here about David. It might seem a peculiar passage to preach about religion rehab, but, but if you go with me, you'll understand why. Because what we have just preceding this passage with the heart playing and the tormenting spirit, we have the, the passage in the Bible in 1 Samuel 16 where it talks about where, where David was anointed. You see, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Samuel. If you don't know your Bible story, I'm just gonna give you a quick recap. Samuel was the prophet of the Lord. God gave him a message saying, hey, hey, hey my, my hand is lifting off Saul. I'm putting my hand on the next anointed king. You need to go down to Jesse's house, find one of his sons who I'm going to anoint as the next king of Israel. So Samuel being a good prophet, he goes down with not much description except don't look on the surface, look at the heart of man. 
And as he goes to Jesse, he says, Jesse, hey, yo, bring up all your sons. You're going to be royal as a family. Bring them all out. One of them's going to be anointed. You have a slipstream into your future. And so he gets all the sons together. The moment Eliab, the Bible says Eliab comes in. Now, Eliab is like LeBron. He's kingly. He walks in. He can dunk on you. So instantly you're thinking, man, this is the dude right here. And so Samuel literally goes to prophesy and anoint Eliab. But just before he does it, the Holy Spirit reminds him, do not look on the outer, but look at the heart of men. And so when he's about to get that confirmation, he doesn't get that, mm. Instead, he gets a, hmm. Goes to the next son and again, hmm. You see, what he's looking for is a, hmm. Did you know that that's actually how God speaks most of the time? You know, we, we want God to speak in great detail. But faith isn't in the sum total of words. Faith is in the substance of the word. And when God speaks, it's always to bring you back to the source of the word. Not that you can run off on your own with a great detailed description, but to keep coming back to the source. And most of the time, faith is not on your obedience to a big description that God will give you, but your obedience to one single word or even one single sound. So he's just looking for that Mm. He doesn't get it. He gets to all the sons and he's confused. He's like, Jesse, you know, you know, when I came in here, I said, hey, one of your sons is going to be the next king. Bring out all your sons. And I know you wouldn't be disobedient to the Lord's prophet, but I'm assuming you brought out all your sons. But for some reason, I'm not getting the mm in my spirit that I usually get when I prophesy. So I just have to ask, by any chance, is there any other sons, you know, like any at all? And, and this is how bad of a father is Jesse? Jesse's like, oh, yeah, yeah. What's his name? Daniel, uh, da- David, David. He's out in the field, right? He's like, Samuel was just probably thinking, my God, like, okay, bring out David. And the minute, the Bible says, the minute David walks in, it was like this powerful moment where, where all heaven opens up. He prophesies over him. He's gonna be the next king. It was an anointing moment. You know, it was that moment where the tears are coming, the snot's flowing. He's down on the ground. The modesty cloth is over him and he's having an incredible encounter. The power of God is revealing his future. And all of a sudden, I love what happens next. The Bible says what happens next is nothing. Like Nothing. Like what I'm expecting is after that powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit, the prophecy, the purpose of God, the future, the foretelling, all that thing. He's gone from a shepherd, now he's gonna be king. Like this is amazing. This is what storybooks are made of. Like what's the next step? You expect limo to palace, kingly training, all that kind of stuff, but nothing. Samuel prays, says, peace, I'm out. Go back to the pasture. And why I think that's frustrating is because we all connect with that. Well, we had that moment on a Sunday. We have the tears, we have the snot, we have the modesty cloth, and we have that moment in the presence of God. And, and God downloads stuff, He enlarges our vision, He gives us focus for our life, He, he gives a calling, He releases stuff, but then we go back to work. Sunday ends and Monday comes. And you begin to wonder, when? Like, God, I know you've done everything. God, I know you've given stuff, but when am I stepping into it? What do I do? And you think that religion just keeps you out of relationship with God. I'm here to tell you, friends, religion will creep into your relationship with God so easily because you begin to think, do I need to make this happen? Do I need to start making moves here? Do I need to start orchestrating things and earning this and showing God how, how good I am to live in the calling? That, and that's what we often do. But I'm here to tell you that God works a different way. And maybe I could illuminate what it is that we do in this relationship with God. Maybe I could actually make it clear 
just so that we're all on the same page, exactly what it is that God has done in this relationship and given you. That would be handy to know, wouldn't it? I know most of you all, yes, C3 San Diego, you guys are smart. You guys are so spiritually deep. You already know all this stuff. But, but just in case some of us don't know exactly what it is that God has given us, let me go ahead and tell you what God has given you. The first thing I want you to write down is, is calling. Could you write that down? Another word for calling is assignment. Assignment. In fact, that's our job. Our job, the moment we come into relationship with Christ, our job is to find our assignment in Christ. Your job is not to bunker down, hold on tight, buy a shipping container, grow grass on top so satellites can't see you, so that you can survive the end of times and say, I didn't get tempted, Jesus, here I am pure. That is not your job. Your job, your assignment is always connected to influence and impact, okay? So your job is to discover your unique assignment from God. God gives you an assignment. And the reason you're meant to discover your assignment is because when you discover your assignment is when you discover the second thing that God gives you, which is called anointing. Anointing always couples with assignment. God never anoints without assignment. No one is anointed just to be anointed. You are not anointed just to sit in your couch at home and say, look how anointed I am, man to walk around your office saying, I am the Lord's anointed. No, no, God always couples anointing with assignment. Even Jesus himself, you see in Luke chapter four, when Jesus came out of the wilderness after being tempted for 40 days, the Bible says he walked into the synagogue and he opened the scroll to the prophet Isaiah to the part where it says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord has anointed me to preach, proclaim and set people free. Even Jesus anointing was coupled with an assignment. So God anoints who he assigns. You wanna find your anointing, find your assignment. So the job is to discover our assignment, then we discover our anointing. The third thing that God gives each one of us is gifting. All you're gifted. You might not know you're gifted because you're still trying to find the, the worship gifting, but that may not be your gifting, okay? But you're still gifted, all of us are gifted. In fact, this is how good and gracious God is. God gives gifts whether you use them for His purpose or not. Did you know that? God will give you gifts. There are plenty of people making bank off the gifts that God gave them. They're like, use them for their own purpose. But that's how good God is. God is a gracious God. He gives gifts. The Bible says that the gifts and call of God are irrevocable. So whether you use them for His kingdom or your own kingdom, God will still give them. However, when you use the God-given gifts connected to the anointing and connected to the assignment, those gifts have the power to set somebody free. These are the things that come from God, this is what God has done in this relationship. This is how good God is. He has done everything. He brings it all. And what's confusing, however, is when we've got these gifts, what do I do? What do I, what do? Because David was anointed. We see this. We see David was called of God. We see that David, David was gifted, assigned. He had skills. And you know what I've discovered? I've discovered that in this life, because you know we've, we've planned, we're about to plan our 10th campus, seven years old as a church. You know what I've discovered moving country and starting churches and releasing people is that God doesn't speak a whole lot. I expected that silence. Let, let me say it again. God doesn't speak a whole lot. 
yeah, yeah, I know that silence because I did this one time. I, one time I was invited to a pastor's gathering and there was like a round table of pastors. And you, you would know some of these were famous pastors. I had no idea why I was there. I don't know how they got my number. I don't know how they got the invite. I thought it was like, let's bring, let's bring the, the guy in that nobody knows just to make us feel better or something like that. And you know, like a charity pastor. Let's get a charity pastor. We'll bring him in. We'll feel good about ourselves and let him sit at the table. And, and so I, I felt that and I thought, you know what? I don't know why I'm here. Like these are famous pastors. They've got like TV ministries. They've got like books. These guys are, these guys are they're important people. And I'm at this table. I'm gonna say nothing. You know what I mean? I don't, wanna, I don't wanna screw this up. I'm just gonna say nothing. I'm just gonna sit silently. But then I'm in my head thinking, you got invited. You better add value. You know what I mean? Something man, I gotta say something of value. Now I'm in my head thinking, what do I say? Like, what do I, you know, they're dropping wisdom bombs, things that I'm just like writing notes on. And, and then I, I thought, okay, I'm this next opportunity, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say something. And, and then there was a little gap. So I said, you know what I think? And they all looked at me. I said, I, I, I've realized that God doesn't speak a whole lot. Then they all kind of laughed. And I was like, oh, this wasn't the right thing to say. And then one of the most well-known pastors, he kind of had these glasses on. He looked down at me and he kind of chuckled. He said, <laughs> young man. Like I felt, I felt no, I've never felt more rookie in my life in that moment. Young man. He said, I think you'll find God speaks all the time. It's just a matter of whether or not we're listening. And all the other guys laughed. <laughs> I said, <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> After they finished laughing, I, I said, no, no, that sounds... That sounds right, but I still disagree. I said, respectfully, there have been seasons in my life where I needed to hear God and I was listening. In fact, I was listening so hard for direction from God, I was fasting. I was not just fasting, I was praying. I was on my knees day and night seeking. So I don't agree with you that it's not that I'm listening. I actually think it's a matter of whether we're obeying. Because we all want a new word from God, but have we done the old word from God first? Like, like we all want the word to go to another country, but have we obeyed God to go to our coworker or our neighbor or our family member that we're afraid of upsetting? This is what it is. And maybe, maybe even that's a little bit too savage to say that we're not obedient. Maybe we're ignorant. Maybe we're not even sure of what it is that, that God has given us or what God has spoken to us. And here we have David. We could have seen that David could have been blamed for being ignorant, being out in the field, not knowing who he was, not knowing what he had. But now that he knows because the prophet Samuel has anointed him, he's called, he knows he's got an assignment, anointing and gifting. What is he waiting for? Let me, let me take the heat off David. Let me put the heat on you. What are you waiting for? You're called. You're anointed. You're gifted. What's holding you in the pasture when you're meant to be in the palace? What's holding you in the place where you feel stalled because you had that word and you had that calling and you feel deep down whether you want to admit it to anyone else or not when you close your eyes at night? You have this deep sense that there's greatness on your life, that you are not here by accident. You are here for something majestic and something important and something significant. Not just to suck air on earth, get a pension and die, but to live a life of impact and purpose. You have that sense in your life, but you're wondering, why am I waiting? I hate waiting. Anybody with me? How many people have been blessed with the gift of impatience? Anybody? All of us, all of us. We hate waiting. I hate waiting. I hate waiting so much. I have, I have carefully curated my life to avoid as much waiting as possible. 
I have got, I have got TSA pre-check, I have got global entry, I even got clear. And if there's something else that will give me a VIP pass through lines, I will get that too. My wife doesn't have that at all. In fact, we recently traveled together internationally for one of the first times in a long time. And then we come back into the great state of United States of America, the great country, and we were going through the global entry line. I'm heading towards the promised land, that VIP line, like you are a preferred citizen of America, come through this line. And my wife says, oh, honey, I don't have global entry. I'm like, say what? (laughs) Babe, why do you not have global entry? She said, well, I never got around to applying for it. I have to go through the the other line. I said, you have to go through the common line? (laughs) And then I had a marital moment. Only the married people would know the tension here. Do I go through my slipstream? Or do I go with her? I ended up going with her. Didn't earn any points. Because the whole time I was in the common line, I was complaining about the line. I was complaining about how inefficient and how ineffective this line is. I was talking about how we would be through and we would be home by now. Like I was like, we would be in the car right now, by the way. And it, got, it was so frustrating. We're in this line, right? And, and this line is, is like, it, they would just open up another line for the next plane of people that would get off. And I'm like, yo, we've been in this line like forever. Like, how did you do that? And so they had one officer serving our line and they had three officers serving that line. So that line is just like plowing through. I'm like, babe, we've got to step into the other line. And so I, she's like, no, we're not stepping into another line. You don't do that at customs. I'm like, babe, I know who I am. I, I'm a global entry guy. Let's step in. Let's step into our promise. Let's go. Let's step in. So I change lines. She stays in her line. So now, so now uh, we're, we're getting up, and I get up to the end of the line. She's still right back there. The officer calls me, and I say, honey, come. She reluctantly steps out of her line, comes down, and the officer, the first thing the CUP officer, the, the officer says to me is he says, he says, are you traveling together? I said, yeah, 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 this is, this is my wife. She said, he said, why did you change lines and she didn't? My wife just looks at me and says, explain this one. I just said, I'm rebellious and I need Jesus, amen. I hate waiting, I hate waiting. I hate waiting so much. I was in the friend zone for three years, I told you that. Three years in the friend zone. In fact, I wasn't just in the friend zone, I was in the best friend zone. That's way worse. That's where they tell you about cute guys they're interested in and you're just like, oh, yeah. But I made it out. I'm a survivor. There's hope for you. I hated waiting. You know, recently I've just kind of changed my mind on waiting a little bit. Because my wife, she was 15 when I met her. This year, my daughter turned 15. All of a sudden, waiting doesn't sound so bad. In fact, I like the idea of waiting. In fact, when I was 15, I waited through. You're going to have to wait too. I'm going to embrace waiting. And there is something interesting when you get a different perspective on Waiting. See, see, here's what you need to know. And this is going to be revolutionary for somebody. This is going to be so powerful in your life. The Bible says that God's Word does not return void. That means the moment God's Word is spoken over your life, it will happen. 
It has to happen. It cannot return empty. It cannot return unaccomplished. It is a force that will take place. The only variable on the Word of God is not whether or not it will happen. The only variable is time. It's just a matter of time. In fact, think about the thing that you're waiting on right now and go ahead and tell yourself, it's just a matter of time. It's not a wonder if, it's not a wonder of, it's just a wonder when. It will happen, it's just a matter of time. This will help build faith in your life, believe it or not, because you need to understand the way time works. Time, there are two types of time. Let me just quickly tell you about this. Firstly, there's chronos time. Chronos time is the time on your watch. Chronological time, it's the time that ticks away. It's the days, the months, the years, the hours, the minutes, the seconds. It's the time that we live in. It's the time that ticks away and works against every preacher. It's the time that you hit snooze five times in the morning. That is time. It's the time that ages you. It's the time that disappears from your life and you wonder, where did time go? That is chronos time. However, there is another time called kairos time. Kairos time is appointed time. It's divine time. It is the time that God works in. We are living in chronos time, but God works in divine appointed kairos time. That means God has the ability to step outside of chronos time and bring kairos time at the right time. We see this in scripture so many times. So many times where Jesus would heal somebody and it's really strange because he would heal somebody and then he would say, hey, don't tell anyone it's not my time. And you're thinking, yo, Jesus, you're trying to start a like revolution here. Tell them to tell everybody. Like if I healed somebody and their eyes started seeing and crazy stuff, I'd be like, go tell everybody. (laughs) Tell them, tell them all. Put it on Facebook right now. Instagram, (laughs) social media, do it. Holy Dove, Twitter, do it. But Jesus said, don't tell anyone, it's not my time. Because he understood the power of chronos time, that things take time, but yet he is moved by compassion so much that he will bring the Kairos time into the Kronos time, even if it corrupts or incorrectly is connected to Kronos time. That's what God will do. And I'm here to tell you that God is able at any time to bring the breakthrough into your life. At any time. You are bound by Kronos time. God is not bound by time like you and I. So even the idea of waiting is not something that we're imprisoned to. So if God can do the right thing at the right time, There must be a purpose to the waiting. There must be something that waiting does in our life. In fact, I love this scripture. Maybe maybe the worship team could come back because they're good. You got a really good, you got a worship team. In fact, this scripture reminds me of your worship team because it says some funny things in here. It's like almost poetic license in scripture where the writer is giving you unnecessary details, so to speak. Because in verse 18 of chapter 16, it says, One of the servants said to Saul, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he's a brave warrior, a man of war and has good judgment. He's also a fine looking young man and the Lord is with him. It's giving us a description of Thor right now. You have got David. He's rugged. He's, He's handsome, yo. He's handsome. Okay. Like he's a good looking man, but he's a man of war. Okay. Any men of war here? Any soldiers? Okay. So, so men of war, no, you grow hair where hair isn't meant to grow just because you've been in battle. That's hair. There's just things, testosterone just produces stuff, okay? So he's a hairy, muscular man of war. That means he, he, he's, you know, he's used weapons, okay? So you picture his hands as a bit chafed, you know, they're probably, you know, like hard hands. Like he's a man of war. The Bible says that he would, he would fight bears and lions barehanded. Like, you know, he'd just kill them. Just get rid of them. That's, that's a man of war. 
That's some rugged skin. That's, that's a tough player. But then it says something in here which is kind of weird. Out of the man of war, good judgment, meaning you're skillful, you're strategic, and fine looking, says, oh yeah, by the way, he plays the harp. Like I used to watch uh, play school as a kid and they would have this segment, like one of these things don't belong with the other and they'd have like three circles and a triangle and you had to pick which one didn't belong. The harp's the triangle, people. It doesn't belong in this list of attributes with a man of war, rugged, hardened, battle-weary, battle-fashioned that, oh yeah, he plays the harp. And maybe you didn't pick it up when we read it because we don't have many people play the harp these days. So harp's an ancient instrument. The harp's a fine instrument. In fact, the harp has strings so fine it is played by touch. It's a sensitive instrument. And here we've got a man of war who was a harp player. I wanted to bring the worship team up because they're good. They're really good, especially this dude right here. I didn't even get your name before. Justin, and you're Australian. Texan, same. Texan, you married an Australian. You saw the light. But you know what I like about this? Not just his fashion sense, it is amazing. Nothing screams San Diego more than this right now. But you know what's really good? I was watching him in worship and he's so good. Like I used to play the guitar. I had a guitar teacher named Pino Martelli and uh, he was really good. But then my brother started playing the guitar and he got better than me. So I was like, yeah, screw that. I'm gonna play something else, you know what I mean? But in that time, I learned some chords and there was like three or four chords that I can play. And, and, and the difference is when I play a chord, I have to like, you know, move, bam, you know what I mean? And then I have to like get the next one and it, it doesn't really work. But what, what's so good about this is he plays, he plays without even looking. Like I was watching him in worship, he had his eyes closed. Not even looking, just changing and strumming, and changing, and strumming. And you know, I might, you might not think that's so cool, but I realized the only difference between us, only difference, probably not gifting, the only difference is practice. You see, all those years where you and I weren't, we're doing stuff, we're doing stuff, I don't know what I was doing in your life, I was doing stuff, probably skateboarding, doing something useless in my life. He was in his bedroom practicing chords, and strumming and looking at his Hawaiian shirts in the mirror and practicing his poses. He, he, he was doing stuff. He, he, was, he was in the pasture, but his pasture wasn't a season where he's wondering, God, when are you gonna use me in my life? Like, God, when are you gonna get me on the stage? God, when are you gonna get me in the limelight? God, when are you gonna promote me? God, I'm wondering, is your word still true? God, would you give me another prophet? Would you send another Samuel? Would you send somebody else to speak another word? Because I think you've forgotten, God. I'm wondering if you still know. No, he's like, I might be in the pasture, but but I'm gonna, I'm gonna practice. Yeah, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna start to put some things to work because what it says here very, very blatantly in the Scripture is it doesn't say find a musician. It gives us an adjective that is very important. It says find us a good musician because the last thing you need when you're trying to lull a spirit, a demonic spirit, the last thing you need is to play the wrong chord. 
that will aggravate that thing and it will jump on you, okay? So you need to just be able to flow with the Holy Spirit, eyes closed and change chords because you've spent years in the field when everyone else is wondering, you were working some things. Now, now, now we don't like that word work because works is connected to religion. We don't work for our salvation. It's all God, remember, it's all Jesus, not you. We don't work for it, we don't earn it. But this is not working for, this is different. This is working from. You see, while Ephesians 2.8 says that grace is a gift, that salvation is a gift by faith, James talks about, James 2.14 talks about that faith without works is dead. So you've got to understand that there is a transition that happens that, that to get into relationship with Jesus, it's all Jesus, none of you. But now you're in relationship with Jesus. The fact that He's given you the gift of salvation, your job is to work what the Father gave you. That means I don't work for it, I work from it. Now that I've got some stuff, I've got to put some things to work. I've got to put some practice in my life. I've got to take the gifts and not just wait and not wonder, not ask God, are you still for me? Ask God, are you still with me? But I'm going to say, God, I'm going to take what you've given and I'm going to work that thing in the platform that I have, in the field that I have, the pasture that I have. I'm going to work the promise of God. I gotta work some things. I gotta put it to work. I gotta work. I gotta work it. I gotta work every good gift. I gotta work every good gift. This is what a good son does. A good father gives gifts. A good son works the gifts. A terrible son will take a gift and just leave the gift. Well, I received the gift by grace. Now I just by grace. I'm like, no, no. Working by grace is working out the gift of salvation. The Bible says the gift of salvation is now and not yet meaning that it's now, but you also got to work it. You got to unpack it. You got to unravel it. You've got to discover it. It's a daily gift. I wonder how many people are here. And maybe you came here, maybe you came hoping to hear a word from God. I don't know if that was my assignment today. I don't think my assignment was to give you a new word from God for your life today. My assignment today was to remind you of the word that God has already spoken over your life that maybe you've forgotten or maybe you've misplaced or maybe you have wondered. God, is that word still valid? Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to c3sandiego.com. 